Is there a recount? Just kidding. <laughs> we're going to do quick introductions. Um, and of course, um, we're going to go from last to first. Um, we'll start with Jason. What are you going to be talking about and where are you calling from? Hey, uh, I'm calling in from uh, Chicago. Uh, I'm Jason Bressler. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Uh, we're talking a little bit about uh, how the pandemic has kind of reshaped um, IT and the business together and uh, made a huge impact as far as IT is concerned and how that really is uh, generating a ton of great interest for IT individuals in particular and how it's really integrated into business strategy. That's awesome. Very, very cool. All right, Ed, where are you calling in from and what are you talking about? Sure. Hey, Ed McLaughlin with MasterCard. I run uh, operations and technology for MasterCard, joining me from Purchase New York. And a uh, lot we can talk, I'll talk about anything you want to talk about, but we're seeing how the pandemic has impacted behavior, shifts in behavior we're seeing, and how we're using devices and what that very, very cool. All right, Miko, where are you calling from? What are you going to talk about? Hello, hello, Ray. Um, so I'm calling from Atlanta, and I'm hopefully going to bring the data storytelling aspect to this pandemic because God knows we've heard a lot of stories and we've seen a lot of data. So I think it'll be exciting. Very, very cool. All right, well, hi, I'm Ray Wong with Constellation Research here on Disrupt TV and with awesome producer L. and then Vaughn's going to take it from here. And before we do that, just want to let everyone know that this show is sponsored by Robots and Pencils. If you're looking for design, you're looking for innovation, uh, definitely check them out. Uh, we'll talk more about them a little bit later. So let's go to show. Ready, Vala? I'm ready. Three. Right, L, tell us what to do. All right, three, two, one. Hello and uh, welcome. Thank you for joining Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send us, uh, uh, Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. He's a regular contributor to ZDNet, Harvard Business uh, Review, uh, and television, business, and technology news like Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, and others. In my humble opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, co-founder Disrupt TV, Bala Afshar, um, and as he said, the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce. But what does that mean? That means he's out there inspiring. He's actually creating innovation. He's helping people understand what's next. And more importantly, you're seeing him on business TV, lots of keynotes, lots of events. And of course, he's an author himself. And you can see him on ZDNet, where you're going to see all the insights from the show um, when he publishes from these, uh, each session. But it's not about us. It's about our awesome guests. And who do we have to start with today, Vala? We have an amazing lineup. And we'll, we'll start our show this week with Miko Yak, founder of BI Brains and BI Dashboard Formula methodology where she has trained thousands globally on how to strategically use power of data visualization to enhance decision-making process. Her inventive approach fuses enterprise visual storytelling with proprietary BI dashboard formula methodology. Miko's ability to strategic, strategically use the power of data visualization to enhance the decision-making process has been sought out by several high-profile Fortune 500 companies. She's the author of Data Visualization for Dummies. Uh, she's a global keynote speaker at some of the biggest and most prestigious data and analytics conferences and, and named as the top 50 analytics blogger to follow. Welcome, Miko, to Disrupt TV. Man, you guys, I'm all blushing. Welcome, welcome. Excited to be here. How are you? <laughs> great to have you. Great to have you. We're doing great. You can't go to an event without seeing Miko, and especially with um, Miko online. So this is really awesome. And we're glad to have you finally on Disrupt TV. Um, and what I really want to talk about is what you're doing, right? Because you always say a picture is worth a thousand words, but there's a lot of data and we often don't get the picture. So talk about like what you're doing to change that. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, again, thank you for the intro. Excited to be here. And so what we focus on at BI Brains is really helping people to understand like how to take data and make sense of it so to tell a story. And I think what's exciting is we have both a pandemic and then we have an election combined. 
And there's a lot of stories that are being told, whether they're true or not. Um, And, you know, and so I think data storytelling is front and center. What we've been essentially doing besides training people, which right now, especially with being like virtual, it's like super duper important that you are telling the correct story with data because we no longer have the ability to touch and to feel and, you know, to have those different like one-on-one emotional um, um, cues that we used to have. So it's important to really tell stories with the data. So what we've been doing is besides helping companies to make sense of what's going on in all areas, whether it's in their HR, their sales, their marketing, whatever it is, uh, we've really been focused, honestly, Ray, on digital and training. I mean, we just did a training. We had Intel in there. We had leaders from Microsoft, like just all over the world attend. And the questions are all the same. I have all this data please help me to understand how to communicate it, right? Storytelling is all about communication. So that's really what we do. And we have done a little bit of volunteering. Uh, We also allowed some students to come in scholarship-wise, right? Because we feel like it has to get out there earlier. Yeah, we did some scholarships. We also allowed people who are laid off. We gave out some other scholarships. We said, if you're laid off, you need to get to the next level. Uh, you can come in. And so we have people who are laid off apply. So, you know, we're, we're doing a small part where we can, you know, and just doing our best to really bring some competency to the data, to be frank with you. Sure, sure. You mentioned the election. I mean, all of us, I'm assuming, watching those magic boards and, you know, tallying up data and numbers and try to tell a story that could speak to where we were heading. It was Steve Jobs who said the most powerful person in business is the storyteller. Absolutely. And, uh, so, and, and, and it's, you know, I, I, we all so believe that to be true. And we, we also know that the human, you know, our, our brains, um, uh, you know, uh, when we look at pictures and when we can visualize data, we can process it 60, 70 times faster than just text and written words. So tell us a little bit more about why storytelling and data visualization and just understanding how to make better, faster, more informed decisions is so much more important now, given what has happened this year in terms of this you know, incredible impact to business due to the pandemic. Well, there's a few things that come to mind. So first of all, talking about the election, I have to admit to you that even though I don't care for politics, the one thing I look forward to with the elections is the level of storytelling data wise that appears. And I, I go through site to site and I have to admit, I'm not, I know you guys are vendor agnostic, but I love the guardian. So I went from site to site, look at their analytics and like, as a, right. As a storyteller, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk to any sites, but I went to a few and I was like, ah, this storyteller, he's or she's, you know, this is crap. And I opened them and then I was like, the Guardian, I sent my team like a text. I was like on Slack. I'm like, dude, whoever built this, this is it. (laughs) So a little bit of a junkie there. um, But like, yeah, it's um, it's, you know, there's a lot of stories that was told. But Guardian, love you. Absolutely love you. Best in the game. Super inspired. If you haven't seen it, that's the best story that was told about actually the election. Now, getting back to your question around kind of why it's important. Well, first of all, where we see this being, you know, there's a lot of information about storytelling, but I think where I see it most important, I run a fairly balanced company. And when I say that age-wise, I have Gen Xers, Gen Mm. Zers almost, right? And I have millennials, and then I have the next generation. And so even internally to us, I've had to learn, because I'm a millennial, and I've had to learn, like, these kids have no attention span. And so a lot of times... Wait, I thought we had no attention span. <laughs> right. Well, we were supposed to be the ones. But what I learned is a lot of the leaders, because we attract a lot of analytics and data leaders that come into yeah. our sessions with their teams. We, we, we see like an age gap. And I, I, I'm not being discriminatory, but what we see is they're both sometimes gathering the information from one generation that's older, trying to get a younger generation to take action. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is we have a framework and technique that we use that honestly, I I hate to say it, it's like millennial bread. (laughs) (laughs) That's sad to say. But what it is, is that we've gamified the process essentially in how you talk to individuals to get the story and then turn it Mm -hmm. into something, into an analytic that could be operationalized and fed to what we think is any generation, but particularly also the next generation coming. You know, for a long time, I've talked and I said, listen, my generation attention span was five to eight seconds. These kids speak emoji language. That is not English. 
Okay. <laughs> the stories that they're listening to are not human anymore. Okay. And so if we don't learn to bridge that gap, you know, all these, for instance, we do a lot of business with oil and gas and CPG. Well, if mm. you know the consumer products, good market, you know that they are trying. How many rooms have I sat in where they're going? What do these kids buy? What do they buy? I just, how do they buy this stuff? I don't know if it's Kim Kardashian needs to eat the cereal. I mean, I've sat in these boardrooms where they're sitting down going, how do we find out what they buy, right? Because we work with some of the largest cereal companies and soda companies. You know, cereal has been declining for 12 to 14% for the last decade. You guys know this stuff, right? You're in the industry. Yep. And I've sat, I've been brought into those boardrooms to go, how do we reach this audience? And we tell them, listen, the stories you're telling are not working. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the story that you told my parents about get up in the morning, make sure you grab your Wheaties. Anybody remember that? Have a big bowl of cereal. And when you sit down, you're going to get two grams of this and four grams of fiber. What we found out, and I'm not calling any of my customers names because they could be on here watching, is my generation, especially the generation after, we don't do packaged food. Hmm. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do a box on the top of the fridge, you know. And I remember sitting in a boardroom with a generation further than mine. So I don't want to call age groups and having to sit to them. I said, look, I'm a millennial and I don't have pack this packet stuff in my fridge. I said, you guys have got to have different stories. And so even I had, you guys will appreciate this. One of the, one of those companies as a good example, they have all these warehouses where they produce their product. The average age group is 55 in the warehouse. Oh, yeah. So they brought us in to say, hey, we need to get them an analytics, but we can't even get them to use it. Do you know what I found out? I found out that because the owners, this is a multi-billion dollar company that's family owned, will not purchase something like an iPad to tell a story with an analytics. They cannot retain an age group lower than 55. So we deal with a lot of complex things, which is how do you help them to take this data and make sense, honestly, to one generation, but still appeal to a new generation? I feel like that's more becoming the crux of what we're dealing with. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It it's actually amazing to hear you talk about oil and gas, which I that's suspect the majority of their history are thinking about upstream uh, parts of their business. And now they're thinking downstream where they're touching the consumer and they're thinking about, well, you know, how do we connect to a downstream audience, like you said, who has, a, 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 it, so, so, the, so they're asking for precision, relevant, and concise uh, a, a channel. And it could be TikTok, it could be Twitter, it could be Correct. Instagram, you know, probably not the channels that they're used to. We just did research at Salesforce that says an average customer uh, connects with a brand across 10 different channels, average. So I can't imagine a legacy company or a digital immigrant company, meaning a company that wasn't born in the cloud, they're not mobile, they're not social, which it's is a lot hard. of companies trying to figure this out. So, so how do you, when you're, talk, so how do you, how do you, when you're in front of uh, business leaders, guide them in terms of cultivating a data-driven culture? Like, how do you, what, where do they start? What do they need to do? So. You know, Ray, you you have more of a background with me, but one thing that's big for me that's always been is I like yeah. to have fun. <laughs> so it's actually a check mark for me. I've been doing this for a while, not arrogant. And by the way, for last year, I grew up in oil and gas, literally. And so that led me, I actually used to live in the Middle East. I lived in Qatar and Dubai, worked with Qatar Gas, worked with Shell, worked with X. Yeah. So I, I, and my dad and them were oil and gas execs. So I grew up in oil and gas and that's a very old industry, you sure. know? Um <laughs> But to answer, to answer your question, one of the things that I emphasize to them, first of all, is one, we have to bring some fun into this. And I know that sounds kind of boring, but like I keep saying, look, if we get in and the ties are here and I, I just tell them, I'm like, I can't do it. I'm like, Miko Yuck is out. Like, I just, I, are we willing to have fun? And once I get a little bit of a nod, then we get into, all right, guys. Let's not get robotic. Let's let's get the robotic language out. It's not we don't have to talk about data and data literacy. All these big words. What are we trying to do here? right? We're trying to get people to use an asset. What's the asset data? Well, like anything else, if you think about, for instance, like Toys R Us, like anything else, why don't we gamify it? Why don't we make it fun? And so what we do is we actually, I don't know if you guys have, have you guys ever read The Hero Journey by Joseph Campbell? Yeah. You guys ever heard that book? Yes. I have, but I haven't read it. No. Amazing. Okay. So you know what it's about though? So it talks about what Hollywood does, which is, you know, they prop these heroes up, but that book goes into philosophy and all these other ways. And so what we basically help them understand is how to make the end user the journey mm -hmm. and how to realize that they are just the guides. 
And that's a very complex relationship because in, I think old school is, you know what, we're the leaders, you know, you're going to do what we say. I said, guys, that, that hammer, that like Flintstone hammer doesn't work anymore. It doesn't. Right. You have, I oh, we departure. Have, departure, departure, initiation. Right. Right. So we try to change that perception. And then once we get there, we have or in our framework, we teach them the four parts of data. Very simple. You have a goal. You have these top metrics. We have the trends. We have the actions. We actually explain the relationships between all four of them. We give them literally a script, help them to extract the, the, the information out into these different story. We call it storyboard segments. So everything we do is on our storyboard. And then from there, we produce stories again that you know, it's not just analytics. Like one of the things that I try to help executives think about is everything is not an analytic. Everything is not a chart. And this is something that I have to emphasize. Everything is not a dashboard. I tell them once we get to the end game solution, this could be an app. It could be a widget, right? We have to think about where's the user and how can we get to them? So again, it's a bit of a process, but for me, honestly, it starts off with being fun. And I typically just have to shift the perception first about how this game is going to work. I treat it as a game. So I have a good time. <laughs> Sounds like it. Sounds like it. That's good. You know, a lot of this is really, I mean, getting that storytelling and the other approach is the, uh, the biblical approach. The world's on fire. Everything's about to fall apart. Here's what's going on. You need to act now, right? So you see the yeah. burning, what, what, all these oil platforms, you see these burning platforms, right? That pop up, right? And, and the question is really like how, how to get people excited about it but most people are still not in the phase of what to do with the data right so you're doing right. a little bit more with what you're doing uh, in terms of it's not just here's the data you're also recommending next best actions talk a little bit more about that as well so. yeah absolutely so this was something honestly Ray, that helped to build my career around the world i mean you know i've spoken at mit facebook you know all these different keynotes and it's because of the fact that I was younger. Remember, I was younger. Now I, I have wrinkles or whatever. But when I was in my 20s, I was <laughs> I was very focused. I was working in New York. And I remember um, looking at a dashboard. I think it was a Pfizer. And I'm like, what do we do with this? Where's the action? Why do people have to go elsewhere to figure it out? And so one of the key game changers, I think, in what we do is our only focus is action. But even further, yes. we're focused on operationalizing the analytics. This is really important. A lot of analytics just stops at trends. And even if they put the action or some form of it, you still have to look and go, okay, here's my analytic over here. Here's the action over there. We try and drive them into, listen, put the operalization, the action in the actual analytic. And so we're definitely trying to push people a bit forward. I'll tell you that much. And But it's not as easy as you think. You will not, it's not as Doug, Doug Henschens on our team always talks about embedded analytics, right? And we've been yes. talking about next best yeah. actions and pulling that together. And that's why I really wanted to point that out because I know you're doing something different there. It's super, and, it's and super hard, it's super hard to do. You know, when I, I, my, my litmus test in terms of when people say digital transformation and they kind enough to invite me to better understand their operation and their workflows. So you're right, describing the past. So, you know, they, they mature from descriptive use of analytics to diagnostic use of analytics to predictive. And that's when they start to use algorithms. And then, the, yeah, the holy grail is it's great to know the winning lottery number for Saturday. But if you don't buy those exact numbers, prescriptive right. use of analytics, it means nothing. <laughs> so right. many think that predicting is the end game and it's not. Uh, no. but, right. but, but my question to you is, which line of business have you noticed since the pandemic maybe is really maturing towards a greater adoption of prescriptive use, where whether it's sales, service, marketing, commerce, they're actually taking action in real time, following the insights that your company or other enterprise applications yeah. are providing to them. Is it 10%? Is it 20? I find most of them still are in the first half, descriptive diagnostic, to be honest yeah. with you. I don't even I, see a strong absolutely. use of predictive. We have, a, I mean, I've trained over 10,000 people and we have a huge community of our own. I go in and I ask all the time because I put out the data maturity curve, right? We all know it, right? Data and yep. insight. Yep. I will tell you up front, 80% of the room is right in the data to information. And it's always shocking to me because I'm like, wait, don't you own every BI advanced tool in the market? Like, <laughs> didn't you just buy, sorry, Velasha, didn't you just buy Einstein? Like, is it on a shelf? Like, what are we doing here? You know, and they'll say, I don't know what we bought, Miko, but this is where we are. <laughs> you know? Miko, call me up when they say that. I want to jump in <laughs> a conversation. Yeah. 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 One of we, our we've students spent billions. We as a company have spent billions trying to get to that advanced prescriptive. So yeah, it's it's you're right. You're right. It's it's so it is the, tough. The, it, it, what I call the consumption gap. It's what Correct. they're using 
versus the capability. That's you right. take my company, we have three releases a year. So we're introducing hundreds of new features and functions. But even our most advanced customers are using maybe 10%. But do you uh, know why, Velashar? And that's what we teach. One of the first steps of our framework is teaching people how to emotionally tap in. So there was, yeah. a, there was a scientist called Antonio um, Damasio a while back. I'll make this short. He did a study. And one of the things that he found is that we as humans make decisions first with our emotions, and then mm. we use a lot of data to back it up. The problem we have is that the way information is being thrown around, people actually think that the more data you give me is the more decisions I'm going to make. What you actually do instead mentally is you trigger off analysis paralysis. <laughs> and so I end up going into a mode of frenzy versus making decisions. And so I think what happens with that gap is also it's a lot of emotion. You know, the, the journey is not there. And that's where we come in because we get a lot of projects that are, hey, we bought this tool. They mm. won't touch it. Right. Yeah. It's like a, dog. Get a lot of adoption issues. Yeah. Kind of adoption issues. Kind of adoption. Um, and we, we ask them, what story are you telling? So sometimes, to be honest, some of the stories that we help companies with, it's not just take your data and create a story. We're literally creating the journey. We are naming the initiative. We are literally giving them the one liner that's going to be written across the door, printed on the elevator. And we say, look, you have to keep repeating this, like make America great again. I had to throw that in. <laughs> so, so I think, therefore, I am. Again. And it's a really Make good book, right? So, so, uh, so Descartes' Era, Emotion, Reason, and the Human Brain. That's definitely a good book. But hey, we're going to end on that. And I'm going to show Thank up you on guys. your show at some point. I think. I saw your invite. I will work on that. Uh, mm -hmm. But we're here with Miko Ya, co-founder and CEO at BI Brains. Check them out and check out Miko when she's back on Twitter at M-I-C-O-Y-U-K. And more importantly, thanks for being on the show. So Thank I'll you. See you in Atlanta one of these, these days, days, hopefully soon. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. Okay, Thanks. bye. All right, bye-bye. That was great. That was great. It's true, like, you know, a, a river without boundaries is a puddle. And so it looks like Miko and her team are providing a framework in terms of how to become better storytellers. And what an honor for us uh, with our second guest. We have Ed McLaughlin, President, Operations, uh, President, uh, Operations and Technology at MasterCard. Ed uh, is, uh, an, uh, is a member of the company's management committee. He oversees MasterCard's technology functions, including the global network, processing platforms, global technology hubs, information security, and technology operations. Prior to his role, Ed was the chief information officer responsible for development efforts for products and services, implementing the IT digital roadmap and managing development of MasterCard's global tech hubs. And then prior to that, he was the chief emerging payments officer. So incredible depth and breadth of knowledge, leading deployment of companies' digital strategy, partnerships, and platforms. He's a member of the Harvard Kennedy Business School's Council on the Responsible Use of AI, Artificial Intelligence. We're going to talk about that. And participated in the 2018 White House Summit on AI for American Industries. Welcome, Ed, to the Shrub TV. I've often said about intros, it's like having a happy birthday, so. I had to cut your bio short because we only have 20 minutes. You've done a lot. So. It's great to be with you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hey, look, we're really excited to have you. We want to get your insights on the pandemic. I mean, we're now seven months out. Um, we're learning a lot of different lessons about behaviors. Um, so let's talk about tech strategy. And, and this is what we've been having discussions on every month at our CXO talks that we're doing at home. Like we're basically doing like these like CIO, CEN, executive network sessions. And everybody wants to know what's going to stay and what's going to change, right? So let's start there in terms of like, you know, how's this impacted your technology landscape, but what's going to change and what's going to stay? All right, so let's talk about what changes first. Um, we went into this. One of the things, and, and we had to say to the board, look, we were right. The resiliency of what we had to do. Now, unlike a lot of the tech that we talk about, we're running national critical infrastructure. Literally every country around the we have two and a half billion accounts. First thing we said is every one of those is somebody's salary, their savings, find a credit for me. Yeah. So our emphasis is resiliency, making sure it's there. So that was the same. What changed though is we're also running a massive uncontrolled experiment in consumer behavior. Um, you know, and the shifts we were seeing, and one of the disabilities is almost like Nico was talking about the storytelling where you can see from what people are buying, how they're shopping, how they're shifting. Real tremendous insights of what was going on. So what we saw is this massive acceleration. 
gift and online buy. We saw, we used to call a card not present. You know, people would interact with a digital device. That digital intermediation was moving two to three percent a year. We're up to about 40%, projecting to three, four years out from where you finally go primary digital. That happened in the first quarter of the year. Wow. Massive shift in spending. We see rotation out of things like obviously travel and restaurants and things like that to home improvement. Description services are huge. Context of how people are shopping, what they're buying is changing. And what we're trying to handicap is how much of that becomes permanent shift. Exactly. How much has this been like a massive experimentation which will lead to a persistent How much is anomalous based on the situation? But what it did mean is things like the network resiliency, underlying capabilities for contact payments, digital payments, and other things like that. Accelerated that. Had to be ready for it and keep up for it. But it didn't necessarily be a projection. Just got here a whole lot faster. Wow. Uh, Ed, you know, MasterCard is a revered brand. MasterCard is a trusted brand. But let's talk about trust in 2020. You know, obviously, we've had the healthcare crisis. Um, and, you know, prior to the show, we were talking about several states going back to lockdowns and curfews. We've had, the, obviously, an economic crisis because of the health crisis, racial inequality, health care, uh, 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 climate crisis with the flooding and the fires in this country, misinformation uh, disseminated at scale. So there is a trust deficit. And so you wrote a beautiful article, an incredibly balanced, rich article. Why should anyone trust AI? Uh, and you noted in your article, and it was very balanced, you, you, know, you noted that you know, uh, consumers uh, may not trust AI as much as we think. In fact, only 25% of consumers trust AI decisions more than decisions made by humans in your article where you cited that research. And only uh, less than 30% were comfortable with businesses using AI. But you, you said that there's no denying that AI can do great things. You, you talked about fraud detection. You talked about chatbots accelerating and streamlining service. You talked about lots of case studies that speak to benefits of AI to society and companies where now employees can work on more creative, more challenging, more important work that can be for betterment of society. Can you talk to us a little bit about your article and this balanced approach, which you talked about biases and you talked about the importance of really understanding that it's just a tool. Let's not, if AI isn't a business model or a strategy, it's just a tool. So it's how we use technology to ensure business can be the greatest, greatest platform for change. I love your thoughts just summarizing that article. Like, that like, you wrote. like, like every tool we have. So, so there's, a, there's so much there. Let me, let me sort of break it into three sections. I think you're right on. I think there's a crisis in trust broadly. You even look at the conversations around the U.S. election. Sure. What people are trusting, what they're believing. You look at the tech lash that's happening. There's just a great uncertainty where people aren't sure what's going on. And in many ways, they're assuming the worst. Uh, they feel like there's a screw in there somewhere and they just don't know where it is. And how do I find it? So we actually think that establishment of trust is essential. Mm -hmm. And we've always talked a lot about security, right? We'll keep the bad guys from getting in. We're much more concerned, okay, are you a good steward of my information? Mm -hmm. Not will someone take it, but what are you doing with it? I think that becomes the foundation for a lot of things like AI, facial recognition, other uncertainties. Start with that. Really do think you need to earn and deserve. So we've done things that you may have seen published a consumer's bill of rights. Mm. Here's how we handle your data. Well, things like transparency. We'll tell you exactly what you collect on you. Exactly what we collect on you. Tell you how we're using it. We're going to use it for anything which isn't directly the service. It's a full opt-in. Great things to do. And we'll use that. Make the service you use. Talk to consumers like, hey, we'd like to fight fraud. So, you know, you'll be able to get the transaction done and you don't have to worry about the bad guys. But they want to understand what's going on. Oh, it's simple, comprehensible. Absence of that, do you think there's a bias against that that's been well-earned? 
That's what you're seeing played out with the backlash, testimony before Congress, data privacy regulations. We all need to get in front of doing privacy. Now that leads to how do you use it and where I think a lot of AI comes from. That's also the idea where it just gets kind of not only wouldn't a general civilian understand, look at some of the problems around explainability. Uh, it's like alien intelligence. No, it's predicting better. You just don't quite know why. And perhaps we never will. Right? When we switched from trying to model cognitive behavior to simply race outcomes and pick the one with the best outcome, regardless of how it got there, explainability really did fall away. So when we think about that, about how you're using it, how the impact it's going to have, I'd like three big sections. One of which is just eliminating work. That's where people are afraid of the jobless future. It's always fun to accuse a futurist of lack of imagination. Who thinks there's going to be a jobless future? You know, my lists have lists. There's always so much to do. So maybe I'm an inveterate optimist, but I think whether it was harnessing animal, mechanical, electrical, now cognitive power, how you constantly eliminate value and we got to help people through it we got to train them through it but i think that is profoundly hopeful second block and where we're seeing the most benefit today i think is human computer interaction uh, you suppose steve jobs earlier the famous bicycle right so we do a lot of ai right now on our operations side which is just weirdness today, right no one can contemplate that much information compared to what's there but what it does, it just flags it to an intelligent human actor to say, hey, something odd's going on here. We should probably take a look. That makes people so much more effective. Yeah. It, it, it's like those seven-league boots. That you so again, when they talk about AI replacing what people can do, I think it's the augmentation. And, and I'll give you a really simple one. In fact, how I got into technology a long, long time ago. I am a terrific speller. It's literally a cognitive problem I have. <laughs> And when I found out there was this box that would tell me that I wouldn't look like an idiot because it would tell me whether or not I spelled it wrong before I, and I could focus on the content, that's probably a reason for both of us why we have these jobs yeah. you know, and, and didn't get you know, put in a special desk to try to learn how to spell. Right? The machine, I actually think it's not it's going to take away people's kind of people. It's going to ultimately augment so we can get more out of more people. To probably the coolest part. I think is the value we need to do a better job explaining to people where we can create value that literally humans could make. That's where I use the example of our product. Right? What gets really cheap, prediction gets really cheap. So we have something built into our network we call safety. Literally, it's this engineering model. I'm so happy. It's this engineering model, right? It has about 2 billion account ranges, 200 analytical. Wow. Updated one after for every transaction that flows through operate But what it means is we had a six-time decrease, X, in false positives. Wow. So that blunt thing where you're trying to do it, it says, no, I don't believe it's you, and you got to go through some real world. That is you. And wow. a three times increase in bad stuff that we actually caught, which is a couple of billion dollars. I don't even remember what the picture <laughs> Billions of dollars of fraud stopped in the city. That's applying intelligence that operates faster any human ever could. The other thing is, because as soon as you start blocking fraud, really intelligent actors on the, on the other side start changing their pattern. The idea to be constantly adaptable, it's not it's benefiting everyone, but it's new value generated. So yeah. That's why we have to explain. Here's how we know it's right. Here's how we know it's removing stopping fraud. How we are taking that data you trust you, using to do it something that really benefits. That's and, awesome. And the system's getting smarter over time. And the system's yeah, getting it, smarter it, it over really time does. with every interaction. I mean, one of the things I liked about your AI ethics uh, piece, right? Because we've been talking a lot about it. Like the transparency of the algorithm is really important. Being explainable is important. Getting it reversible super important, right? And then learning from that, training that model over time, and then actually have, making sure it's human directed because otherwise we, we get Skynet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, no, I think the human directed is couple things on that, though, one of which I hate to argue with some of my friends. I think much of the human in the loop is spurious, about behavior, 
right? It's like when there's 16 signatures on something, you don't read it. So, so what we are seeing is, even though you're saying this is a checkpoint, people get so inured to it being easily have to really question the effectiveness. Of so we're even doing things like, if we have a human in the loop, we actually salt it. Kind of like you do a fishing exercise. Yep. Say, let's put a bad one in that we know is not going to go all the way through to see if they're actually catching it. Actually test the effectiveness of the control. One of the things, things I'll, I'll, I'll jump off on that one. People are actually often using the wrong metaphor. Mm. Technology and corporate and business. We talk about AIs. Because we're comparing it to coding. Right? You code something, it becomes an executable, it runs forever exactly. AI is constant management. Particularly if you look at the systems we do where the output of the AI actually impacts the inputs to the model. Block fraud, the patterns of so concept drift and a lot of other things like that become really, really essential. We're missing active, dynamic nature of integration. Hmm. Then the final piece we talked about in the article I would, would like to bring up too is about bias in AI. Yeah. So yeah. the explainability is essential. You, you need to know you can trust the outcome. We're hmm. never actually going yes. to be able to unpack how it gets there. But we actually have you know, top and tail AI models that collar our big engine just so we can see if this concept is rather than trying to limit it to what we But all the questions around bias, in fact, your data questions, lots of terrible data. Yeah. Bias comes out. Yeah. I'll give you one example I worked on early on, which I think is when you were doing language translation, went from a non gendered language like Turkish to a gendered one, it would oh, guess. Yeah. And it would say, she's a nurse and he's a doctor. You're like, the AI's bad. No, it just had poor role models, right? This is just trained on millions of documents and making a yep. prediction. Right. Uh, when you talk about things like, well, we are okay with mug books, cops have, but not with constant surveillance based on recognition. So I think a lot of what we thought of as privacy, mm. just mistaken obscurity, and we're now forced to address. And a lot of things we don't like in society that are real and are in the data, we also have to address. Things we look at is how do you put a rule in that'll actually rebalance prior biases? You can detect it. Now you can see it. So make the gender, yes, 50. I will also say at the time I was testing it, if you put in jerk and a few other colorful phrases, it always defaulted to male. It was working. Um, <laughs> Test it out. It works. Anyway. <laughs> we will, actually. <laughs> it's too then, tempting. So. Yeah. And then the final piece, though, is, and this gets back to regulation. Wait, I have been called to testify. After recognize, like electricity, like general purpose technology. Sure. You don't say, we need regulation on wheels. So while you're building a watch or a cart, you know, <laughs> we're afraid all the hod carriers will lose their job through cart technology. Yeah, but I'm building a watch you know. So I, I think it's really important what society needs to think. But, but Ed, wheels are dangerous. You might get run over. Right. <laughs> so what society needs to think about is what are our principles? Yeah. That is what we need from government. That is what we need from civil society. You shouldn't kill other folks. Okay. If you're going to have a wheel-based vehicle, it shouldn't run people over. I think we can all agree to that. It's not a reason not to do it. Confusing practices and principles conversation. So if we can say what do we believe, what do we think is right, higher truth, and then we can make sure all of these powerful new techniques are advancing. You can fight bias with AI. Subject how you apply the technology. And my my last question, Ray and I last year had the privilege of um, being on stage and interviewing Vint Cerf, the inventor of TCP IP, yes. and Sir Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor of the web. And we were celebrating the 50th anniversary of, of the web. And it was a recognition, it was a UN event, that 50% of humanity had just crossed access to the internet. So when we talk about digital payments, when we talk about accelerated adoption of 5G, there's certain still emerging technologies where we still have three plus billion that are not connected to the internet. Can you talk to us quickly about the rise of 5G and what that means and digital payments and what that, what that Absolutely. means for MasterCard? Because your new CEO said, we're a global company, but we think locally. 
So, you, to- you know, there's a balance at MasterCard where you want to serve everyone as much as you can. Now, what are, and this and is in the 60 seconds it, or less. <laughs> 60 seconds or less. We said the internet of everything must lead to the inclusion of everything. Wow. Even if we connect you. If you can't participate economically, you're still cut off. Right? Mm-hmm. The things we take for granted. Uh, education, the entertainment, the travel, the commerce opportunities. We need to provide to everyone. So having a real ID, a valid ID, and having access to the financial systems. So I will say, I'll end on this one. One thing I'm very proud of. Whether you're in any country in the world, if you're a Social Security recipient in South Africa, that six-digit MasterCard number you get is every bit as good as mine in that. What it yeah. does on the network and how it works. Our job is where this is available to everyone in the right context for what they need. That's awesome. That's, um, that's fantastic. Great. We are here with Ed McLaughlin, President in Operations and Technology at MasterCard. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your insights, especially on Bye post-pandemic you. and what's next. You're terrific. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, sir. Wow. Imagine how hard it is when you're, you know, you know millions of clientele around the world and have that single source of truth and consistency. Okay. This is what we traditionally call our cleanup hitter spot, where our last guest comes in and hits a grand slam uh, with their wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Bressler, the Chief Technology Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. With more than 25 years of IT experience in the mortgage banking industry, Jason excels in application development and enterprise implementation, specifically at mortgage companies that have started small and truly taken a leap into stratosphere of the industry, utilizing technology and practices that Jason and his team bring to the table. Jason and his team are constantly developing intuitive technology platforms that can help independent mortgage brokers grow their business. Under his leadership, UWM has set the tone for the entire mortgage industry. They're number one in their space by reaching to clients quickly, efficiently, with scale. He currently leads a team of 850 IT staff. Right. <laughs> can you imagine leading 850? That's, that's <laughs> we want to learn all the lessons learned during the pandemic, remotely managing such an extraordinary and, and large team. So welcome, Jason, uh, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great having you. Hey, welcome. The real question is, how many laptops did you have to buy? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, a lot. I had to buy a lot. <laughs> was it like was it the text of michael dell like hey can you help <laughs> it was just insane. you know what we ended up doing we just gave we just told everybody come in and take what you have and get back to your house and we'll just yeah. facetime you and show you how to set up <laughs> so, That's amazing. No, but hey we've been talking a lot about lessons learned what's happening post pandemic uh for cios and ctos um so what's staying the same and what's changing for you guys you know, I think, first of all, I don't think anything is staying the same anymore. And, uh, and I, I think that's the best possible outcome that, that we in IT could have ever hoped for. And so, you know, one of the things I think that's, that's happened a lot, and we've heard it here um, both from, from Nico and from Ed, is it's always about the story that you tell. And so what's happened uh, traditionally in, in IT firms, especially IT firms that don't just produce a product, they're not a technology they are a technology team working inside of another team or another company. And so what typically happens is we never have CIOs, CTOs, anybody in IT, we don't typically get that seat at the table. It, what, what usually happens is business strategy is driven. It's told to IT. It says, this is what we have. This is what we're going to do. How are you going to help support us with that? Uh, and I think the pandemic changed everything. There was, I mean, and, and I, I call it hero ball. But that's a lot of us. So was, we just picked up the ball and scored as many points as we possibly could, as quick as we possibly could, right? So we could get everybody home and keep the business running. All of a sudden what happened is the, the, the CEOs and the COOs, they all turned around and they're like, oh, crap, you're really good at what you do. We need to actually take notice of this. And all of a sudden, we, we all got a seat at the table where it wasn't anymore, hey, this is what we're doing. What are you, how, how are you going to support it? It's, we were thinking this might be a good idea. What do you think? And can you start solutioning for us? And that really is about the story because the story is everything. Once you can change the narrative as a CIO, a CTO, and actually show that you do drive solution, you like you actually do produce data lakes and you have all these all this great tooling and platform that you can turn back over, it changes the game for all of us. And it changes the game for all of the businesses. 
And so that's really what I think has been the, the, the biggest lesson learned. The, the one piece I think a lot of people are saying, and this is what happens to a lot of us that happen to get into IT is we're shy and we're nerdy and we don't like to be very <laughs> outspoken. This is the time like when it's there, you gotta like, you gotta strike, gotta go after. It's why I, I say it all the time that fortune favors uh, the bold. It's one of those things like when it happens, you gotta jump on it as quickly as you possibly can and seize it because th there will not be another opportunity when when the vaccine's actually out, you know, and I will be very interested to see, as I'm sure we all are going to be very interested to see what happens when life kind of goes back to normal. Because all these companies have said, hey, I'm going to let you work from home forever. I seriously doubt that's really going to happen, right? Because what, like the, the best IT gets done in conversations and walkers and that doesn't happen when you're sitting at home for the most part. And so, you know, seize it now and then just run with it. Definitely. Definitely. Right. Right. Most of the clients that my company serves, uh, I noticed the first 90 days of the pandemic and I say I'm, 90 days U S uh, specifically. So March, April, May, you know, um, uh, they were in a stabilization mode. Uh, they right. needed to figure out how to conduct remote work and how to do it securely and how to scale. Uh, many clients needed to lean into new technologies like e-commerce and contactless payments and curbside pickups. So, and they didn't have it. So, so really 90 days of just stabilizing and accelerating adoption of certain new technologies. We had McKinsey on the show a month or so ago, and they said about 10 years of e-commerce adoption just in the last three months. And then we had the head of uh, technology at Accenture, Paul Darty, who said, yeah, he saw about five years of culture and digital transformation in the last few months. Uh, cultural meaning, you know, leaders understanding and trusting that people can be productive from home. You can sell market, service, commerce, and even IT. What were the less, what were the stories you had to share with your 850 IT staff during those early pandemic months? To ensure that you know they didn't panic, they kept the eye on the ball. If they were in the you know in the red zone, they scored a touchdown. Like, wh what were those difficult conversations, or maybe not so difficult, depending on the culture and how you know? And it looks like you're a great storyteller. You don't look like a nerd or a geek. So, <laughs> which by the way, I see them affectionately. I'm a nerd and a geek. <laughs> I do. <too. laughs> what, what did you have to do to like rally the troops behind you? So it really was a lot of rallying. And so, yeah. you know, one of the things, and, and we talked about it here too, is it's almost not so much the experience and, and the technology sometimes as it is the people and the culture and that you, you've really got the right people working for you that when you need them, when you need to, when, when you need them to buy in, you've got to spend the time cultivating them because you never know when the opportunity is going to come. So when it's here now, I spent a lot of time just basically going and, and I told everybody, this is what we had to do. It was just full transparency and open kimono and show everybody, this is what we do. This is how we do it. And let people start to pick it apart, even though they have no idea in hell what they are talking about. They've never been in IT. They don't know what any of any of our processes <laughs> means. Like they heard robotics and they come out and we're like, so what's gonna happen with robotics? Or, or is somebody gonna come and actually type on my key? Nope, but let's explain to you what that actually means. and. So what is that in USA Today? Come on, Jason. Yeah, well, I don't want to tell them that yet. That's the thing. And so, <laughs> so what we really did was, you know, I spent a lot of time in just explaining the let's get transparent and then let's start turning some of that tooling back over to the business and let them start playing with things that they don't actually understand yet, but we're going to get some great ideas from it. And what really happened was, you know, like I, I say, it's like giving pop rocks to a five-year-old. Like the first time you put pop rocks on your tongue, it's great, right? It's like exhilarating. And it feels, it's so good. And then the first time you took them, right? Like after 30 seconds, you freaked out and you started spitting it off because it was, it was too much. It's overwhelming. You're like, this is too much. No, power you do that with soda. Body to have. <laughs> right? Like that's, that's what it was like all of a sudden was you had all these people that were just oh like, gosh. oh my God, it's great. What do I do now? And so that led us to being able to really start solutioning. I've been, I've been a CIO basically for about 25 years. I've been road mapping every year for 25 years. This is the first year in 25 years somebody actually read my roadmap and I can start to do something with it. I can actually try to modernize. <laughs> I can actually tackle tech debt because, and I know it's not going to last forever, right? In another year, everybody's going to forget about the pandemic basically, and we're all going to go back to where we were unless I just drive it all the time. And so that's really, you know, what what that that is by far the biggest lesson that I could ever give. Any leader in IT is especially now transparency is huge. 
seize it and then give the transparency, let people feel like they're part of the process. Because just like anything that any of us do at any point, when you do something, like when you work for something together, when there's more than one person, it's a group of people, when you work at it together, you get a different type of attachment to it. You know, like if I, if, you know, if I asked you how this, how, how this cup looked, you know, you would say, you know, oh, that's great because you care, you know, you would give me your opinion. But if we actually made that cup together and we both, like we solutioned it and we built it, like then when we looked at it, like we have a lot of stake in that game and that's what makes it so much better. And sorry for my Boston market cup. you know both ray and i work with both ray and i work with a number of cios really great cios and i'm telling you the cios like yourself that have strong technical acumen and business acumen you know there are no it projects they're all business projects they are really not only seat at the table i'm telling you i have personal connections with cios where they're getting promoted to higher i mean we're talking ceo positions they're presenting at board meetings they, they have a very, I would argue, very close to being right hand, you know, CFO, CIO, right hand, left hand to the CEO. And the pandemic has really accelerated because I think all companies and technology companies, at the end of the day, you know, you, you have to have good culture, talent and process. But man, if you're not leaning into technology, you're losing. Uh, so the CIO has an incredible role. Uh, anyway, sorry, Ray, go ahead. Sorry about the. No, I think it's important, right? I mean, uh, up until before the pandemic, most organizations probably had this challenge. And it was really the fact that um, the chief digital officer, the business unit, everybody else was doing all the fun, cool stuff. And yeah. if you didn't have a CIO, CDO combination, what actually ended up with is the CIO was managing cost and dealing with infrastructure and trying to keep all the lights on while everything else was going on. But what was interesting is over the last six months, and I would even argue over the last 12 months, we actually seen, right, the CIO is now the grown up in the room. And, and it's very, very important as people are starting to figure out, hey, why did we spend all this money on this thing? <laughs> it's like, what does that do? <laughs> right. And, and so we're coming back again and the pendulum is swinging back. And, and I think uh-huh. the pandemic actually brought the pendulum closer to the center. Now, for you, Jason, I really, you know, as you see and you talk to other peers that are out in the market, it's like, um, are there new skill sets that, that are expected out of you? Like, what, what should people bring from this? So, you know what? Paula brought up a great point. And especially in situations like this, the more business acumen you actually have for what you're doing, that's that's yeah. the true accelerant. And so I've spent a solid portion of my time teaching, and we're actually at a, at a thousand IT team members now, even from 850 from just a couple of months ago, where <laughs> wow. we teach them everything about the mortgage business because we, uh, again, first of all, there's no way you could possibly solution what you're doing if you don't actually know what you're creating. But you also, and, and again, back to the whole culture point and telling a story is once you understand the intrinsic value of what you're, what you're creating, the product that you're, that you're supporting, whatever it is, you start to feel more attached to the work that you're doing in it. It leads to a lot more of that. And too many CIOs, CTOs, VPs, they don't spend a lot of time making sure that they understand what the business does, you're right, you know, right, they, they manage a ton of the cost. And that's the thing. I mean, the thing is, I think we were always the grown up in the rooms. And now it's hard for us as CIOs and CTOs to say, hey, we have to have a personality, we have to be able to talk, we have to be able to get people to yeah. see our point of view. Everything is a sale job. It's always ABC, Glengarry Glenn Ross rules everything. You, like you always have to be selling. <laughs> so if you're not, and you and you can't embrace that, like deep down, it's going to be hard no matter what. Yeah. Awesome. Such an important balance of uh, hard skills and soft skills, uh, you know, to be mindful, to be empathetic, to have that sense of urgency without, you know, being overbearing um, it, it, and being a great storyteller, being a good listener, you know, not defaulting to no as your default answer, you know, uh, it, you know, so the collaborate, collaborative, creative um do you, is there is there, you know, a thousand people in IT and I, I you know I, I I sold infrastructure for twenty years before joining Salesforce so data center solutions enterprise service provider grade technology switches routers access points software security and I know the IT staff are there talking to the business analysts they're in the you know architecting new and orchestrating multi cloud deployments on premise you know we had amazing uh, data centers. So folks that love to roll up their sleeve and get in the game. So is it quarantine fatigue? And, and it looks like you know, winter's coming. I mean, the numbers aren't going down. Uh, 
So yeah, for, for you know, uh, I, I, when I say winter's coming, I, I mean, you know, uh, a second wave or continuation of the first. How are you dealing with, you know, thinking about 2021 and how you're going to continue to, you know, uh, inspire your thousand person IT team? What advice do you have to other technology leaders to try to maybe combat what, what should be quarantine fatigue since none of us have left our homes since February? Exactly. You know, I think the thing is, is I, we are also damn sick of sitting in our houses and not doing anything. And it doesn't matter if you love waking up every day and just, you know, rolling out of bed in your pajamas and working. Everybody craves human interaction. They all do. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that darn we video really, call got in the way. And, and, and yeah, and the damn video call. Thanks, Greg. And so, you know, like the thing is, is you, 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 so for, for, for us, you know, we're very unique. So we all work in one building and up until the pandemic, nobody was allowed to work from home. We all came in every single day into the office. And so this created this, this very nice kind of hybrid model for us right now. So what I tell them all the time is get into the office when you feel comfortable, even if it's for one day a month. Don't lose the human interaction and seeing other people and remembering what makes us special, right? Like you got to have it, you know, like us sitting here right now would not be the same if we were sitting on a stage and talking about it either, because we're we're, we're just going to feel closer to each other. We just are by that. You know what I mean? So that really is the biggest thing. So like we have to promote that because as, as, as IT individuals, like it's probably a little bit in our nature to want to sit behind a computer screen and never get up, right? Because we are antisocial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, this is great. We're here with Ed McLaughlin, President. Op- Watch, sorry, we're, sorry. We're here with Jason Bressler. Sorry about that. EVP and Chief Technology if Officer. If you were on stage, that wouldn't have happened. If you were on stage, so no, no. If on stage, that would have been bad. But hey, Jason, thank you so much for being on the sure. show, and uh, really appreciate it. You can follow him and the company at UWM Lending. And of course, thank you for the insights. Very, very important, especially talking about pandemics, post-pandemic, and where the CIO and CTO are going to be so thanks Jason, a lot thank you very much we'll see you in the green room. thank you sir that was awesome very cool we will uh-huh. see you in the green room well hey we've got some special thing going on and uh, we're going to jump into this uh, very interesting broadcast live uh we're checking in with dion hinchcliffe who's about to do something so give us a little bit and let's get this feed working properly well hey we're live on the field and we got dion hinchcliffe sitting at where are you actually what's going on <laughs> well, I'm way out here in the middle of nowhere. I'm in Manassas, Virginia uh, at the Bull Run Regional Park. Um, Citrix has uh, put an RV out here for us to, to try out future work, remote work uh, experiments, um, uh, new technologies, techniques. Uh, we, we've been here uh, two days uh, having a lot of fun trying out new things. Well, that's amazing. Wow. So what's inside? Where are you? Can we get a 360 view of what's going on? <laughs> yeah, of course. So... Um, there's the RV right there. We're, we're packing up. We just uh, finished uh, doing the shoot here. So, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's nice in there. Uh, they have a, uh, the most amazing network connection. So we've got uh, bandwidth for myself, my wife, the kids. Uh, everyone's got iPads and devices. We've had no problems. Uh, and it just shows you can, you can work from anywhere these days. I've been doing video calls, uh, you know, uh, Disrupt TV now. Uh, I, do, I just did a webinar yesterday. Not a hiccup, um, and I'm in the forest. Wow. wow! So this is the remote work in action that you've been doing yep. for the last how, how many days has this been? A couple of days? Uh, two and a half days. Yeah, exactly. Wow! Two and a half days out there, and with your family. This is pretty amazing. So this is part of yeah, your um, show. Out. You've got the whole reality <laughs> TV shows going, right? Uh, this is what's happening. Well, we're using this opportunity to, to launch the, the Constellation Research Future of Work reality show. Uh, so it'll be also be me, but my family uh, will also make cameos. Um, uh, and it's going to be like a, in a problem solution format. We're going to explore all the, the, the challenges and all the opportunities people are facing at home as they try and be productive, uh, as they try and you know, lead their careers and lives. Um, and, and uh, you know, we went through it. We shot six episodes here. Um, you know, we went through and tried like uh, the kids were there making lots of noise. I'm trying to do phone calls. So we used a sonic wall, a new sonic wall from Polly. Um, and, and it worked really well. I mean, they could be screaming and I can be on my calls. I can't hear them. They can't. My people on the other side of the Zoom call can't hear. So there is tech out there. We, we can work with our families in these little spaces in the, in the forest now. That's that's the future. Wow. Tiny spaces, remote work, families, everything in place. I can't wait to see what's going on. Thanks a lot, Diane.
You bet. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> Crazy. He looks like he's having a lot of fun. <laughs> he looks like he's having a ton of fun. <laughs> so, That's but hey, awesome. you know, really hey, it's been great. We've got uh, robots and pencils sponsoring us uh, on the sh- on the show, and of course, please check them out. Um, but who do we have coming in for episode number two fourteen? Episode two fourteen. We have uh, next week. We have Jesper Anderson, uh, Chief Executive Officer, President of Infoblocks. We have Vanessa Colella, Chief Innovation Officer, Head of City Ventures and City Productivity at Citibank. And we have Scott Zoldi, Chief Analytics Officer at FICO. So great, great group of executives. Um, Vanessa is incredible. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to our 655, six and seven interviews. Baha's not keeping count. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. <laughs> so, but hey, what a crazy week. But hey, anything on your end? What's new? What's going to happen? What's, what's, how's Dreamforce to you going on right now? We got all this stuff. Happening. Oh, my God. I have a uh, privilege of connecting with so many customers and partners. Uh, I've lost count. Uh, but all, of, all throughout November, December, um, you know, I'm, I get a privilege of connecting with some of the best and brightest trailblazers in the world. And uh, it's going to be a learning opportunity, bi-directional for me, and and hopefully we can provide useful insights to our to our to our customers and prospects. It's a uh, it's 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 an amazing it's an amazing outreach program that's gonna uh, that's gonna you know it's gonna be daily and it's gonna be for the next two months. It's 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 a good year to end in calendar twenty twenty. <laughs> really cool. Well, hey, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Catch us 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And thanks, everyone. Please subscribe on YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, Periscope, and anywhere else you find us. And let us know if it's illegal. So thanks a lot. (laughs) Take care. (laughs) Thanks.